Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the Actus podcast, Talking CDI, the nation's only program dedicated to the clinical documentation integrity profession. The Actus podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. Today, Wednesday, October 23rd, marks our 135th program. My name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Clinical Series 1, Types of Anemia. So today's show is sponsored by 3M Health Information Systems. 3M is committed to eliminating revenue cycle waste, creating more time to care, and leading the shift from volume to value-based care. Its innovative software and services help close the loop between clinical care and revenue integrity, while helping providers, payers, and government agencies reduce costs and enable more informed care. This is a, uh, part one of a three-part clinical series supported by 3M that will take place over the next three months of the Actus podcast. I'm joined today, of course, by my familiar co-host at left, Laurie Prescott. Laurie is the CDI Education Director for us here at Actus in Middleton, Massachusetts. Laurie probably doesn't need any introduction at this point, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, well, thanks. <laughs> she develops and is the lead instructor for our Actus Bootcamp line uh, and is also co-author of our upcoming indispensable CDI reference, the Actus Pocket Guide. So welcome to the program, Laurie. Thanks, Brian. Okay. And we also have with us today a guest who's been with us before, and I'm very pleased to have him back on the show, uh, Paul Evans. So Paul is a clinical documentation integrity specialist with Sutter West Bay Area in San Francisco. Uh, Paul is a pretty well-rounded guy. He holds degrees in business administration, but also healthcare information management. He's worked as a data quality coordinator, senior internal auditor, project manager for a national consulting firm, and the director of various HIM departments. Um, he's a member of uh, AHIMA and Actus. You probably recognize him as a former member of our Actus Advisory Board, where he was very active publishing articles, speaking on seminars, and he's back with us today on Actus Podcast. So welcome back to the show, Paul. Good morning. Glad to have you. Glad to be here. Okay. As we uh, always do, we're going to start with a poll question related to today's topic. Uh, you should be seeing that right now, I believe. Okay, and the question reads, is the reporting of acute blood loss anemia, or ABLA, a problem in your organization? And your options are no, not a problem, queries are rarely needed. Is it somewhat of a problem? You know, maybe take some clarification before you can report uh, ABLA. Yes, uh, is a problem, physicians don't document it, and our coders often don't pick it up or whatever other problem you'd like to describe there. <laughs> uh, not applicable or other. Again, we're asking today, is the reporting of acute blood loss anemia a problem in your organization? And your options are no, really need a query for that. Somewhat takes clarification. Uh, yes, maybe your physicians are uh, adverse to reporting that or, or coders will not pick that up or uh, other options are not applicable or other. All right, we've got about 75% of our audience that has voted. Uh, 
So I'm gonna go ahead and close this poll out and we will, as we always do, uh, come back to the results in just a few minutes. All right, as I mentioned, our guest today is Paul Evans. Paul, thanks for being a part of the Actus podcast and coming onto the program. Um, just by way of background, Paul went a little out of his way today and I'm very grateful for him for doing it. He created a slide deck for today's program that will serve as the basis for the show. Laurie and I are still gonna be interviewing Paul, but Paul put together some references because we realized this is kind of a complex topic. Um, so I'm gonna to navigate to those slides and I'll just let folks know now that you don't have to email me for these. We're gonna, with Paul's permission, uh, go ahead and post them to the um, archive page. So we, we record all of our programs and we'll, we're gonna post these slides to that link when the recording is available, probably within the next 24 hours. So I'll just head that question off at the pass. Um, but let me let me navigate to these slides here. Give me one moment. Um, all right, I think I think I've got it open and I'm showing it here uh, correctly. So Paul, um, maybe we can start with just some uh, some definitions of anemia for the audience and some of the various types, and I'll and I'll walk through these slides as as you do so. Sure. Um, you want to go to slide one, please? I think you're at the end. Ah, that's okay. No problem. Gotcha. So one of the first things we need to think about um, is what is anemia? Does your institution have a institutional definition? Um, you can find these in many places. Here is one definition. Um, I won't read through it word by word, but you, know, you can use this as a reference. So you know, as we think about anemia as CDI, as we work in compliance, as we work between records or as coders, first thing we need to ask ourselves is do we, our institutions, do we have definitions of anemia? Because we don't want to be thinking about anemia if a patient may have, quote, low H&H, but they're not meeting or at least approaching our definition of anemia. So uh, here is a definition and a reference is um, included at the bottom of the slide. Mm -hmm. Next slide. So what are the different mechanisms? What are the things that cause anemia? And again, this is a 15-minute presentation. Hematologically, hematological disorders is a huge topic clinically. We can't cover that in 15 minutes. But what is interesting is that the physiological causes of anemia correlate with the coding um, classifications of anemia as well. One thing I tell people when you're thinking about working as a CDI or as a coder or working as a CDI manager with coders, one thing that can often be very helpful when you're constructing your logic and your queries and your um, formula as it might be, your workflow, your query forms is to look in the coding book because often there are classifications and words that will help you in your constructions. As an example, anemia is broadly defined as blood loss, acute, chronic, acute, and chronic, there's anemia of decreased production. Again, huge clinical area. Basically, there's some, some type of deficiency in the uh, formulation of, uh, of the uh, hematological components, such as iron deficiency, hypoproliferation, renal disease, uh, vitamin deficiencies, and then lastly, there's destruction, sickle cell trauma, spirocytosis. Um, Real quickly, um, uh, anecdotally, um, I saw an interesting case for destruction in a patient that had a mechanical heart valve not too long ago. And it was determined after study that um, yeah, as the blood was being 
was flowing through the patient's mechanical heart valve that was causing a destructive or hemolytic form of anemia. So there you go. Next slide, please. Mm -hmm. So again, just to think about some of the huge sample classifications for anemia, which are found in the book, acute blood loss, chronic blood loss, chemotherapy causes it, neoplasms, chronic kidney disease, other things, nutritional deficiencies, and hemolytic anemias. So these are some of the sample classifications you can keep in mind as you're working to properly classify anemia or work with your physicians as a CPI to achieve clarification and specificity in regard to uh, anemia that may be present. Next, please. So blood loss, and there's a definition at the, at the there's a citation at the bottom. What, what is blood loss anemia? So basically, um, you, you're going to think about acute uh, um, blood loss anemia and a chronic blood loss anemia. And um, the clinical references will tell you with chronic blood loss anemia, these might tend to be hypochromic and microcytic. So you will see changes in the uh, profile, the uh, CBC profile, that you may not seem see in a patient that has an acute blood loss anemia. Um, again, I'm not a physician, but I would imagine the difference is, the, 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 the difference is, you know, when you have an acute blood loss anemia, the body does not have time to compensate. If you've got a chronic blood loss anemia, a slow GI bleed, the body is going to compensate and you will see different um, uh, you may see different laboratory values. You might experience patients that have chronic and acute blood loss anemia in the same uh, episode of care, which is possible. Uh, next, please. So just to restate, you might have multiple types of anemia. Um, if you look in the book, uh, I think there must be literally hundreds of types of anemia. So um, you might see a patient that has anemia due to ESRD, who experienced a significant loss of blood, and you might think to yourself, do I have acute blood loss anemia combined with a form of, um, of uh, a chronic type of anemia? And the reason I bring this up is because in the construction of a query, it can be, it can be very important to cite that then to know that uh, you want to know that the patient already may have anemia um, if you are in fact pursuing a different type of anemia such as acute blood loss. Next please, Brian. Great stuff, thanks Paul. Okay. Yeah, Next Paul. Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm looking at this lovely slide with coding clinic, and that's <laughs> what I was going to ask you is, um, you know, there's a lot of coding clinic yeah. out there with instruction about um, anemia and code assignment. Can you highlight some of those for us? Absolutely. So as Lori said, there are many. Uh, so the challenge is in a very short presentation such as this, how many do we want to cite? And uh, Lori helped me. Uh, pull a few up. We, incite, we inserted a couple, but again, anyone that's, if you're going to build a policy procedure on this, you really need to go through all of these, uh, the coding claims, but a couple of the, high, of the more important, and I'll go quickly. The one that you're seeing from 2004, I, I think this was important because I think as CDI, we, we struggle with this a lot. Uh, basically, someone wrote in the coding claim and says, our surgeons think that anemia due to an expected, expected loss of blood is integral when we query the physicians with patients who have had significant uh, levels suggestive of anemia, um, they are refusing to document anemia due to blood loss, even if they transfuse the patient. They say the patient's lost an expected amount of blood. Um, so the person said they wrote coding clinic and um, it doesn't give us definitive information to give to the physician that, that clearly states blood loss anemia should be coded. So they're asking for help. and. Um, 
next slide, please, I think is the point that's really important for us to realize is CDI. So coding clinic said coders should not use blood transfusions or abnormal lab findings as definitive variables in determining whether or not to code blood loss anemia without physician documentation. Um, and it basically, it goes on to say we can't code it if a physician doesn't document it. Now, keep in mind, this was written almost 20 years ago. So there's, there's nothing new here. It's just a reminder that um, coders cannot code something based upon a clinical um, findings or support. So as a coder, if I see a patient that's lost 1,000 cc's and they get three or four units, if no one said that the patient has anemia, I can't code it. This does not say that we cannot issue a query, however. So there's the difference. But at CDI, we need to know these are the rules. So this is what the rules state, or one of the rules. Lori, do you want to add anything in, in regards to this? Um, you know, when I, I have this discussion with surgeons quite frequently, and they'll say, well, um, the blood loss was expected, so I can't, I, you know, we can't report the acute blood loss anemia. And I like to take it just a little step further and say to the surgeon, the blood loss was expected, but was the mm -hmm. anemia expected? Um, because depending on where a patient is in their baseline H&H, a loss of 500 cc's may not be a huge issue for them anemia-wise, where we're, for another patient, it could put them in a crisis situation. So, um, you know, I, I, like to, I like to point out to people, blood loss is expected in almost every surgery. Um, anemia, not necessarily so. Just, a, it's a different mm -hmm. look when we're talking to the physicians when they come back with that integral wor wor word to, maybe further explore and discussion. That's a great point. Great point. Um, next, please, Brian. And we're going to come back to that. Lori and I will come back to that point. So one thing that we have to remember is coding clinic does not define diagnoses. Coding clinic does, over the years, cite many valid and up-to-date, and sometimes not up-to-date, but they, they it does cite clinical criteria that can be helpful for CDI, but coding clinic doesn't say what is sepsis or what's respiratory failure. They can only cite um, other medical research. So someone wrote in here, we have recently heard coding clinic define major blood loss as 20%, as a 20%, and I've, I've never heard that. I don't know where this question comes from, and basically coding clinic is saying, no, we didn't. Uh, so again, <laughs> it just, you know, so, uh, so it says again, if the physician doesn't document anemia, don't code it. It does, again, does not say we may not query for it if it's supported and client to do so. Uh, next, please. And again, Brian's going to make these presentation, this presentation available to you, so I am going quickly. Next, please, Brian. Yep. So, so this slide, I wanted to talk a little bit about it, and I'm going to encourage Lori to jump in a little bit, because I think this slide speaks to a lot of issues, not just anemia, but in reference to the surgeons or physicians or, you know, coding experts that, you know, have gone to one day of coding class and they're denying your, 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 your codes, it's real important that we all understand the UHDDS definitions, which we've been over again many times, but Lori and I want to talk about an example or two just as a way of making us exercise our critical thinking. We can code something if it meets any of the following criteria clinical evaluation, treatment, further evaluation by diagnostic studies, procedures, consultations, extended length of stay, or increased nursing care and or monitoring. All these are self-explanatory except for the first. So what, what is clinical evaluation? Clinical evaluation means the physician is aware of the problem and is evaluating it, observing it, 
Um, so a physical examination alone doesn't mean that I, that something, if it's noted, can be coded. Physician might note that I have a bunion. Do we want to code that? No, we do not. However, if the physician notes Paul has CKD stage four, um, we're not going to treat that necessarily. So, so but would the, should the physician be aware of my CKD four when he is prescribing to me certain antibiotics? Certainly. So you do code the CKD four. On a related term, uh, I'm five foot ten. I weigh 180. If Lori were taking care of me and I weighed 350 pounds, I think that one could say that my morbid obesity is reportable. Uh, we may not cure or, or treat my morbid obesity during my two or three day length of stay, but certainly it has made life more difficult for Lori while she cares for <laughs> me. So that's my argument for coding morbid, morbid obesity, and we'll come back to this. Next, please, Brian. Roy, would you disagree? No, I completely agree. Um, okay. You know, another thing I'll add on to that discussion too is we don't transfuse people like we used to. 20 yes. years ago, everybody yes. got blood. Um, we've learned and most hospitals have that set point um, where yes. blood can be transfused. And that's a discussion a lot of times if you're fighting denials um, is to bring forth what your lab's um, Great point. policies are based for transfusion. Um, a lot of hospitals, it can be as the hemoglobin can be as low as seven before a transfusion is allowed. And I think compared to what it was 20 years ago, we just gave blood like it was a glass of water. We just don't do that anymore. We're more thoughtful in that process. Yeah, great point. I, I'm I'm old enough to remember seeing charting and patients got one unit, and now I never see that anymore. You know, AIDS and different types of, of uh, uh, liver disease and so forth. Perfect. Being what they are. Yeah. So here's a real quick clinical example example about evaluation. This now this 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 in a way relates to anemia, but I wanted to make this point just on a larger scale. This is an actual case I had. I had a 40-year-old male admitted with horrible ICH. He was obtunded. MRI reveals severe vasogenic anemia, edema, and the <laughs> anemia, severe vasogenic edema, and the brain is herniated. Um, a neurologist is the attending. He evaluates the patient. Um, and he states he is not going to treat the edema, he's not going to treat the herniation, he's not going to insert a, a pressure monitoring, he's not going to decompress because the patient cannot be salvaged. He placed the patient on comfort care immediately. So if the physician doc, so in, in this situation, um, and this is just my, my logic test of different people, what, what could be coded? Um, would you just code the ICH and not code the vasogenic edema and the herniation because the physician didn't treat either? My point of view is if the physician documents the vasogenic edema and the hernia of the brain, definitely it's coded because that is part of the medical decision-making process. That is why the patient expired, and that's why the patient had a mortality of three or four, three or four versus a mortality of one. Correct. So how might this principle be applied with anemia? Would I, one would ask themselves um, in, in those that say you have to have transfusion. Uh, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, next slide, please. Right. Yeah, I, I think these next slides, Paul, were some of your myths and misconceptions about reporting and coding yeah. of anemia. And Abla in particular, we, I know this was our poll question. I'm interested to see how our survey results bear that out. But, uh, but maybe we can talk a little bit about this in particular, and this was sort of the some of the meat of the show yeah. here was the and this is this is this is what we've been saying. Roy and I have been talking about is kind of a, a preparation for this slide. So, 
you know, what are the considerations for acute blood loss anemia if you are a CDI manager or a coding manager? Well, first you have to acknowledge there's somewhat of a controversy around this because you don't always directly treat it. So my point of view, you have to first acknowledge the controversy. You have to have a coordinated strategy with your physician leaders. How do, you, how do your physicians define anemia at your facility? What do they do when they're monitoring or treating the anemia? You have to tie in appliance and CDI and HIM leaders on this kind on the on the uh, uh, on on your approach as well and have a you need to have a common strategy I believe that you share with a CDI team and a coding team and by by way of a common strategy let's say that Lori and I are both working for a company working for you know Boston Mass and I issue a query for a patient that's had 50 cc's loss of blood and the H and H has barely moved. Whereas Lori says, well, I want to see documentation of a more significant amount of anemia, and I want to see the H and H move more drastically. You don't want one person being really, really, really aggressive on this, and then one person being really passive on this. I'm not saying that we have to have a, a really carved in stone. Uh, we've got to all march by the same music and not use our minds, but you need to have some kind of a coordinated philosophy about how to approach this topic. Mm -hmm. Next, please. So when I think about, this is myself, when I think about acute blood loss anemia, the things I want to see in a chart, the things that I want to reference, and the questions I ask myself is, well, how much blood is documented to have been lost intraoperatively in recovery, or in the case of a patient with multiple significant trauma before the patient was admitted? And where do I look? I look at the INO, I look at drains, I look at saturated dressings, I look at the operative reports. So you know, we don't have to cite the blood, blood loss if it's apparent, like in the patient, maybe it wasn't recorded in a patient that's had severe trauma, but, but if I'm going to issue a query for, for acute blood loss anemia, I think it's important that I try to cite how much blood has been lost. Secondly, what is your staff considered to be a clinically significant loss of blood? Now, again, controversial. You, you really can't find a definition, but what there has to be a number. I, myself, as I said before, I'm not going to issue a query for blood loss anemia in a patient that has a documented 50 cc's loss of blood during a procedure. Uh, you know, I rarely say I will or I won't. I'm not going to do that. I want to see more. Personally, you know, I've, I've, I've worked with physicians and been told that they start to think about this condition when it's 300 cc's, 500 cc's, even better. So can you cite also, can you cite in the case of a patient that had a procedure or, 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 or something uh, that, that caused loss of blood, you need to cite the H and H before and after the procedure. And was there a significant decline? It's important and it's pertinent to have that in, in the body of your query. Another consideration, you have to acknowledge if a patient had pre-existing chronic anemia, you need to put you need to cite that. Dr. X, patient with patient with a documented past medical history of chronic anemia due to was admitted with loss of blood of so and so. And that way, I think that you're making your record stronger and you could be um, helping to make sure that there's not a denial. So a patient, for patients that have documentation of other pre-existing forms of anemia, I think it's really important that you reference the CBC profiles so that the, the clinician can use those to evaluate other factors uh, cause anemia, such as ESRD or, or uh, myelo-MDS or something like that that's not associated with blood loss because those patients may have a different um, you know, uh, uh, macros microcytosis, macrocytosis, so forth and so on that need to be considered. Mm -hmm. Next, please. So, Paul, we're, we're getting towards the end of our time okay. here on this topic. We'll go, but 
All right, Brian. I know you, I know you put together a sample case, which is great, yep. and a query, but maybe just any, any wrap-ups on this or anything um, you want to can we, we can probably just tell them each for like 10 or 15 seconds, and I'll do speed talk on them. Is that okay? Sure, sure. Well, here's, your, here's your query. Here's a sample query. Um, you know, the documentation of how much the patient's lost, their TACNIC, their orthostatic, H&H is seven, two units, uh, serial CBC show improvement to nine. In this situation, the physician never documents anemia, or they may be documenting down H&H. Next slide, please. Here's your clinical background, and then here's your query. Please clarify the nature of the patient's hematological values and presentation. Four choices. Um, there's that first mm -hmm. query. Next, please, Brian. Because I'm, I'm almost finished. So here's the coding clinic about acute and chronic blood loss anemia. Curiously, it tells us when a patient has both. We only assign the code for acute. Next, please. Um, now, this is not anemia, but this is um, related. It's a bleeding secondary, secondary to extrinsic circulant anticoagulants. Coding clinic tells us that when a patient has bleeding, which is associated with a drug, part of an anticoagulation therapy, we should assign code D68.32. This is important because um, assignment of this code can be a um, can be important when you're working with PSI9, post-operative um, bleeding and uh, uh, hemorrhage. So here's a next slide, please, shows a query for this, Brian. Um, mm -hmm. um, background, next slide shows the query. Again, you're right, people can reference this. And then the query establishes the relationship between, between the blood and the use of the drug. And then I think the next slide is the last slide, Brian. Yep. Um, so when we're thinking about hematology, hematological disorders, I also want to mention real quickly, think about pancytopenia. Intrinsic and extrinsic, um, keep your antenna up. The patient is admitted for um, initiation of radiation, um, chemotherapy, or high-dose interleukin-2. Oftentimes, those patients will um, exhibit signs of uh, pancytopenia. And that is the end of my presentation. Thank you. Wow. That, Paul, that was excellent. Really appreciate that. Um, we're going to wrap up there, and I, I do want to get back to just our poll question. And we got we got so many great comments during the show, which was great. A lot of individual examples we can't get to, but um, just shows the need for this topic. Let's um, let's bounce back to the poll here. So again, we did ask um, our listeners: Is the is the reporting of acute blood loss anemia a problem in your organization? Um, only 17% report that it's not a problem queries really needed. But majority, 60% say somewhat, it takes clarification before we can report. And hopefully um, you've got some additional assistance with that from Paul's presentation today. Uh, but 17% say it, it, it is a problem. Physicians don't document it and our coders often don't pick it up. And then 6% not applicable and 1% other. We did get some good comments about this. Um, you know, folks mentioning that their doctors are reluctant to document it because it might impact a quality rating in something like LeapFrog or another quality system. So I don't know if you have any any surprises here, Paul, about no. the poll question. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Laurie, any thoughts on that? Lots of queries are being asked about anemia. That's what I'm seeing. Right. Right. All right. I'm going to go ahead and uh, switch briefly to our in the news 
topic because we do have a uh, important news item that I want to share with folks. Probably will be, not probably, I would guarantee it will be the subject of a future Actus podcast, but just for now. Um, so a little background, the deadline for receipt of public comments on proposed new codes and revisions discussed at a recent September 10th and 11th uh, ICD-10 Coordination and Maintenance Committee is uh, is November 8th, and we did want to alert our folks that uh, there is a proposal to adopt sepsis-3 as the standard definition of, depths of, of sepsis. So we covered this um, in the last oh, two weeks ago, CDI strategies. I'm showing you all the article again, as I always do. I will link to this in the, the, the show notes. Um, but essentially, um, and from the article, so currently ICD-10 classifies sepsis as a condition due to bacteria. But sepsis can, however, also be due to uh, viruses, fungi, protozoa, and because of advances in pathobiology, uh, the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Statistics, felt the need to re-examine the definitions and classifications. So uh, we, we link to this new proposal here. This is going to take you to um, this document by the CDC where it walks through the these new definitions, which of course align with um, sepsis-3 and the third international consensus definitions. Um, it classifies sepsis as a life-threatening organ dysfunction caused by a dysregulated host response to infection. We're probably aware of that now um, in that septic shock is a subset of sepsis in which profound circulatory, cellular, and metabolic abnormalities are associated with a greater risk of mortality than with sepsis alone. So um, they go through some talking points here about considerations for why this proposal is necessary, sort of the differentiation with SIRS here. Um, and then below, if you keep scrolling down, there is a number of pages of um, proposed modifications to the tabular list. You know, they've added the word bacterial, for example, in A41. Uh, we have um, some significant uh, additional codes here in R57, if I can find those quickly, um, as codes to septic shock in this category. And then we have um, some deletions from severe sepsis, uh, R65.2 and 2.1, severe sepsis with and without septic shock, um, and R65.11 serves of non-infectious origin with acute organ dysfunction. This proposal would delete these codes uh, all together. So um, just to recap there, uh, this this is a proposal. CMS is accepting comments until November 8th. ACTUS is actually in the process of formulating a comment with its regulatory committee. Um, I will post a, a link to the email address you can send your comments to. It's, it's a mouthful. It's NCHS ICD10CM at cdc.gov. So I'll, I'll post that link. Uh, but just curious, I know we're at time here, but Laurie, what, what, any, any thoughts on this proposal? I know it's a big one. We are going to be covering it in more detail down the line, but any, any initial thoughts here? Yeah, well, I think it, it'll make it easier for us all if the code set agrees with one definition. Um, I'm myself am in the sepsis 2.5 camp. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not totally a believer in step three alone, um, but I do understand um, 
but I know that for those of us trying to clinically validate and those working in denials and appeals, if we could have a code set that actually matches a definition consistently and we all agree on that, and if CMS forces us to agree on that, then maybe that's the best step to take um, because it is difficult for organizations right now dealing with payers when it comes to sepsis. Some payers want SEP2, some want SEP3, and we, we can't document per the payer. We, we should be documenting to get to an accurate code. So I think we all have to figure it out and find a definition and agree on it. Thanks, Laurie. Paul, I think you might add thought or two to add to that. Yeah, I, I think that um, to speak to Laurie's point, it's really important when we're working with records to ensure that if there are acute organ dysfunctions that may be present but not stated, issue a query to get those documented, whatever they may be, you know, type 2 MI, respiratory failure, uh, AKI, and so forth. And, and if, they, um, if they can be linked to sepsis, then I think that's always a good thing in terms of our mortality and the establishment of the diagnosis of sepsis, regardless of whatever definition a third party may be using. You know, if we have ATN that's stated as due to sepsis and support, that's going to strengthen our claim. Mm -hmm. Good point, Paul. Okay, just to wrap up here quickly, I, um, I wanted to alert folks, you've probably all seen some uh, promotions we're doing, but um, we are going to be uh, publishing our own must-have guide for CDI professionals. Uh, this is called the Actus Pocket Guide. It's an all-new book providing indispensable at-the-fingertip guidance for CDI professionals during their day-to-day -day chart reviews, things like anemia, for example. Um, so we're, we're very excited to bring you this new book more about this later, but essentially we have two uh, amazing authors lined up, our very own Laurie Prescott, who, we're, who I'm sure you guys know about uh, very much. Uh, she's tagged up with um, James Manns, who is a consultant in spine and neurological surgery with the Mayo Clinic Health System in Northwest Wisconsin. So the two of them have, are combining to uh, create this new publication for us. Uh, while, while the product will be brand new, we're confident that we'll meet the same high quality standards you've come to expect from Actus as we started back in 07. So if you'd like to read more about the pocket guide, uh, it's here. We'll be putting out more information on it uh, in the future. There's some sample um, language here below, and uh, I will again link to this in the show notes. So. That is going to do it for today's edition of uh, the Actus podcast. We'll see you back here again in two weeks for the second part of our special three-part clinical series. We're going to be covering um, ARDS and acute respiratory failure. I again want to thank 3M for their support of today's show. Thank you, 3M. As always, if you have any suggestions for future guests or ideas about the format of the show, you can send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. Thanks again, Paul. Great job today. And for everyone else, we'll see you back here again in two weeks. Thank Take you. care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.